don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. And I believe that was said by John Acuff, the author of the book Finish. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the dangers of comparison. And this is so true in the garden. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. Don't let those pictures on Pinterest or any of the other websites or online pictures be your guiding light. Don't let it be your what you compare what you're doing, especially if you're beginning, to these online pictures. So here's why. They zoom in and they show you the glory of one plant or in one area or in a spot. And you can't see the rest of what's going on in that space as a whole. And by the way, this is this is an episode that I made a mistake on as far as the numbering of the episodes go. And so I uploaded some other things and didn't get this one in. So this is just a bonus episode. And this is one of those reasons why I say it's good to subscribe because it'll alert you if something pops up uh, in the show, the Edible Gardens podcast, if something happens like this. Anyway, this is just a bonus episode for this week. <laughs> so I had no episode 26, I believe it was, but I had an episode 27 and 28. Oh, well, whatever. So, but this is one that I really wanted to get out there because I know that a lot of times I feel completely deflated or defeated if my black-eyed Susans don't look like something else that I saw. And it is because people crop pictures. You know, if you've been a photographer or if you've taken pictures and you've done any editing, you know that they will crop it. I know I do this. I crop out the background or I maybe I crop out the propane tank of their Easter pictures when all the kids are picking up Easter eggs or I crop out the dog in the background hiking his leg if it's a, if it's a portrait type setting. But I guess you could kind of turn that saying, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Uh, you could kind of turn that on its head and say, don't compare your summer to someone else's spring. You know, because they could have taken that picture at the right, perfectly right time of the year where that plant is going to thrive and do well. So if you're, let's just take cilantro, for instance. I know I've picked on cilantro a lot, but this is one that I really had a hard time with whenever I first started trying to grow it. But you'll see a picture of beautiful, healthy cilantro online, and they took that picture when all the temperatures were right for it. And there was a steady temperature on an even keel, and it was just the prime conditions. But yet you look at yours in, say, I don't know, when it's coming to the end of its life, when it's, when it's, say you planted it in the middle of July and it just won't grow here in Texas during that time because it's too hot for it. So it's not just comparing your beginning to someone else's middle. It might be comparing that plant's beginning to, to that another plant's middle or that other plant's end. But when you see these online pictures or these websites or you know, something on Pinterest, but something online where this plant just looks beautiful, or it may be the package that the plant came in 
it may be that it just kind of struggles along and it tries to get its little roots underneath it or its feet under it, you know, metaphorically speaking. But I know in my garden, I have a lot of plants that did just so-so the first year and they're perennial. So they came back the next year. I know my irises did this. And the first year that I planted those bulbs, they did okay. You know, they grew, which was awesome. They, they turned green. They put off a few flowers. But then the second year, they were just flowers everywhere. There was two or three flowers on one stem. Whereas the year before, it was maybe one, maybe two on each stem. But it may be comparing your own garden to what you have in your head. You know, the picture that you have of what it should look like because you saw it somewhere else. Also, it could be you're comparing your transitional year soil-wise to someone else's garden that has their good biodiversity all set up and ready to go. There's so many levels that this works on. You could also be comparing your transitional year or your beginning to someone else's where they're using a lot of pesticides and herbicides and fungicides and you know they're spraying to make sure that there's no bugs on it the bugs are not eating anything or whatever but still you can't see all of those sides quote unquote because you know you just can't see them and so it may be that you're comparing really just not even apples to oranges you're comparing apples to spinach <laughs> I don't know that's just right off the top of my head but anyway so you have to ask yourself is it delicious nutritious and safe whatever you're comparing it to so are you growing organically and there was a show I had in my head one time I've never done this show but it is do you objectify fruit <laughs> you know do you objectify vegetables because a lot of times people want to go especially in the grocery store they have this idea of what the uh, a carrot should look like or what a squash should look like or what a bean should look like and really and truly I mean sometimes they have little imperfections in them like a peach or a plum or an apple but those don't make it to the grocery store I think those go somewhere else those get made into apple pie filling or they get made into a cut fruit salad I mean they don't let that stuff go to waste but the the fruit it, it, you know, that's just another level, whatever it is. When I say fruit, I mean fruit and vegetables. But sometimes my zucchinis or my strawberries look way better than what they do in the store. But it didn't look like that in the beginning. And you know, the other thing is that most gardeners are not going to put up epic fails online. They're not going to show you the fig tree that died. They're not going to show you the pomegranate tree that died. That's what happened to me last year. I have all this stuff growing. All this stuff is doing really, really well. But yet I mourned over a few trees that died. The pomegranate tree, I'm not sure why it died. But the two fig trees, I know they died because I put them in a place where I just did. I was just forgot to water them. And it's not in a place that I have that I have any irrigation whatsoever. So I had to remember to hand water those. And I just put them in a bad, it was a bad decision on my part as far as a microclimate goes. 
So, I mean, you know, but they're not going to show, for instance, an echinacea plant, which is a purple coneflower. It's the same plant. And they're not going to show that it kind of goes through peaks and valleys. It comes back every year. It grows into this big, healthy, green uh, foliage. And then it puts off its little purple flowers. And then it just kind of dies back. And then it'll come back, if you're lucky, it'll come back one more time that season. But it kind of goes through peaks and valleys. And I thought that a gladiola put off those flowers all year round. Well, it puts off its flowers once a year. And then it comes back next year and it does it again. But, you know, <laughs> those plants, I guess they're even more special because they only bloom once a year. They come back year after year but then they only bloom once a year. So it makes them special in a way, but those are the kinds of things when you see a picture like that on Pinterest or some other place online at someone's website or the picture on the package, uh, that's why I think it's good to do a folio. So you kind of have an expectation of what's going to happen with that flower or with that plant. But the reason that I believe it's so important to bring this up is because I don't want you to be discouraged that your exact same plant in some way is inferior to another plant that's probably under different conditions. At some point, it's either in a better soil because they've already built up their soil or it's being sprayed with tons and tons of fertilizers to keep it pretty in the garden or, you know, somebody else, it's somebody else's middle compared to your beginning. I just don't want you to think that you're not doing something right or that you made a mistake or that you're doing something wrong or that it's something that you did. But I'm going to give you some real life examples today on today's show. And if you've been listening for a while, you've heard me say I started a new Edible Gardens when we moved here almost three years ago. And I have lots of examples to give you on the subject today of what I have found. And if you're new here, welcome to the Edible Gardens podcast, where we talk about how your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. I'm your host, Nanette Blair, and I'm so glad you found us because my dream is to make good food accessible to everyone. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, and veggies straight off the plant where you know what went into it from start to finish. Also, you won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, fun, reflection, entertaining, and the list goes on to whatever you want because it's your home, your yard, and your taste. You know that garden you've been thinking about? Well, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready. So let's dig in. Okay, so you've heard me talk about oregano a lot, but I want to tell you that last year I grew a lot of oregano from seed in the greenhouse so that I could use them as ground covers and as a border on all of my beds. And oregano is an, a perennial here where I live and it's evergreen and it's the perfect plant to create a rhythm and flow in my landscape. But last year, they did not look like they look now. Last year, we had a terrible drought, and that's another reason not to compare. You don't know what's going on in the other place. 
they may have lots of rainfall. They may have a different acidity in the soil or a different kind of soil. But although we have a, a well, our pressure tank could not keep up with the demand of the gardens. Plus I have the greenhouse. So we have a well and it didn't run dry or anything, but our well pump has a pressure tank and it just wasn't big enough. Since then we've gotten another one. We just haven't installed it yet. But it once we put that bigger pressure tank in, then we could be able to water more uh, frequently and with more water. So if you have a well, you're moving to a brand new place, and no, that might be a consideration, just kind of a side note there. <laughs> but we had this terrible drought, and the oregano just kind of did okay. It was like everything else. It was just kind of prostrate. It laid low to the ground. And I knew I had grown oregano in another place before, and I knew whenever the temperatures are not prime for that species, for that plant, then they'll kind of do different things. So at one point, like in the wintertime, it just kind of laid low to the ground, and that's fine with me. It stayed evergreen. It survived. It did fine. But now it's really starting to pick up, and it looks more like a small little subshrub. It's still an herbaceous plant, but it's just standing up a little bit taller. Well, now I'm getting ready to go harvest some oregano from those plants, and they're just gorgeous. They just look so healthy. I just want to rub my hands on them. <laughs> and They just look different. But the same is true for the gladiolas, the daylilies, the irises, the dahlias, the larkspur. These all just did better the second year. And on the irises, I had maybe a dozen blooms the first year after planting them. And then the second year, I had at least 100 blooms. I actually went around and counted them. And then and I, I think I counted like 70. And then after I counted them, I saw that more blooms came up and more blooms came up. So I, we had a show going on here. <laughs> I had a lot of family in for Easter and I was thinking, oh, please still be going good whenever they get here because they were just so beautiful. I just wanted to show them off. But they just did so much better on year two than they did in year one. And I didn't do anything wrong. If I had been comparing them to someone else's yard, then I might not have known that. I might have thought I did something wrong. I might even take an action on that belief. And that's another danger of comparison is taking action when everything really is just right. Everything is just fine. You just need to leave it alone. Uh, I have some family, and I don't know a lot about roses, but I have some family that's moved into a new house, and they said that their roses just weren't looking good. And I was, I think I even said this out loud, but I was thinking, well, maybe they just need some time to get acclimated. You know, just kind of leave it alone. I know I have an avocado tree in a plant in a pot right now. I moved it. I, I made a mistake in that I didn't harden it off. Basically, it's it's taking it from storage. It was in a place where it was being protected because it's in a pot, and I moved it outside. And I just moved it right to where I want it to be, and I didn't move it in and then move it out and move it in and let it get acclimated a little bit at a time. But it really was struggling, and I thought, oh, I'm probably going to lose that tree. And I went out just a few minutes ago, and I saw it has a whole lot of new little leaves coming up on it. It had some big, beautiful, like, four leaves on it. It's a brand-new plant. Uh, you know, just started it last year. And, and 
I thought it was gonna I thought it was dead and a lot of times when it looks like it's gonna die I just leave it in the ground because you just don't know what's gonna happen with it but that's not really the point of the show the point of the show is to say that just kind of give it some time let it do its thing let it get acclimated and don't compare your yard or your plants to someone else's especially if they've been doing it for a long time they've been growing in that same place for a long time well for any reason because like I said, they may be spraying a lot of stuff on it. You just don't know. But the gladiolas that I planted last year did bloom. And I did plant some more because I just love them and I wanted them in more places. So, <laughs> but the ones that I planted the year before, they're coming back with vengeance. Like they're coming back and I know that there's, I wouldn't say it's doubled, but the amount of little spikes that are coming up out of the ground, and I haven't seen any blooms yet, but the growth, the green growth, the leafy growth that's on them now is a lot more vigorous. It's a lot more robust this year than it was that first year. Now, the daylilies that I planted the first year, they did not bloom at all. I didn't see any buds. And so they have not bloomed this year, but I'm just kind of waiting and watching to see what they're going to do. And I'm hoping that I, I know I've had daylilies before and they really spread. So I'm hoping that they're going to really come back this year and do a lot more and put on a, a better show. So the larkspur that I have in the garden, and these are all flowers that I'm talking about right now, if you're not familiar with what these are, but I couldn't wait to have some larkspur. They just put on these long, beautiful spikes of color. And I had heard after I planted these last spring that they're really kind of a cool weather plant. And I am trying to familiarize myself a lot more with a lot of different kinds of flowers because for years, for the last two decades, I've really learned as much as I can about food, you know, for herbs, vegetables, fruits, things like that. But I'm really trying to train myself more on flowers because I want to bring in a lot more. Again, as I said on other shows, there's scientific reasons and there's aesthetic reasons, but I just love to bring cut flowers into the house. And my husband used to buy them for me, and now I said, you know, don't have to buy them for me. I just want to see them in the house. It's not the fact that you bring them to me, which is really sweet, uh, you know, grocery store flowers. But now I'm going to be cutting my own flowers and bringing them in, and I love to do that. And like I said on past shows, there's really scientific reasons why I like to have those flowers in the garden, they fill a niche in my establishment guilds or in my food forest, but I love to cut them and bring them in. But I just want to throw this out there as well. There are so many varieties of the same species. So if you're comparing, say, your salvia to my salvia, well, you may have a different variety. You may have a, a shorter salvia and you think, oh, well, I wonder why mine didn't get as big as hers. The hummingbirds were all over hers and, you know, they got so big and they got so lush and they were so purple and so green. But you may just have another variety that just doesn't get that big. I know that my daughter and I had this conversation. She was saying, I don't know why, but my salvia just didn't get as big as yours. And she said, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong with the soil or if I'm doing something, you know, if I'm doing something wrong. And I went, she had been to my house several times, obviously. 
and she had seen them so she knew what mine looked like and she was expecting hers to look the same way and then whenever I got down there to go visit her I said oh well that doesn't even look like the same kind of salvia I could see the flowers were different they were a darker purple and the leaves were a darker leaf so I knew that wasn't even the same variety of salvia so and she was she was saying, well, why didn't mine get as big as yours? I just don't understand. But I, I remember also going to the Magnolia Market, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines Magnolia Retail Place, and it's really more of a campus. But they have in their garden section, they have these Rutabecchias or Black Eyed Susans that were just gorgeous. But again, you don't know, I don't know, did a landscaper just bring those in? You know, why were they so tall? Well, there's so many different varieties of Black-Eyed Susans. I just need to find that variety, the one that they had growing in there. And I would never assume that the seeds that they were selling inside their store would have been the exact same variety as the ones that were in their landscape. Again, you just never know. And this is another really good reason to learn the Latin names. If you want to get the exact same variety that someone else has so that it can look have the potential to look just like the one you saw, the best thing to do is to either learn the Latin name or the binomial nomenclature, the scientific name for that exact plant. You can look at the tag if they still have the tag there or whatever. But you know, probably the <laughs> the safest bet would be to get some of the seeds off of that plant. And even then, you don't even know if it's a hybrid. So anyway, that's just speaking to comparison. But the other thing about comparing my garden from this year to my garden from last year, last year I was still kind of in a transitional year. And if somebody had come, and some people did, and I was really not happy <laughs> that they were um, looking at my gardens at that time because it was in the middle of July, in the middle of a drought, our well pump wasn't working very well, and everything was just kind of crunchy. And I, it was not at the peak of the season. Now, right now, my garden looks really lush. It looks great. All the snapdragons are looking beautiful. Everything's sprouting the way it's supposed to. Everything looks good but I don't know what it's gonna look like come July. So when this happened last year, we went, uh, I, it, it was in the middle of July, we were having a terrible drought, I went to the Botanic Gardens. I was visiting someone at the hospital and I thought, you know, I'm just gonna go take a walk in the Botanic Gardens. And I saw that all of their stuff was really suffering too. And I thought, okay, they have a team of people that work there and their only job is to tend these gardens and theirs are struggling as well. I wasn't trying to be judgmental. I really wanted to know. I actually kind of had it in the back of my mind, I think subconsciously, I wanted to know how does theirs look? You know, they probably have an unlimited supply of water that they're putting on there. They're probably doing pesticides and, fer you know, fertilizer and herbicides and all of that. I don't know what they do there, but I have a suspicion that they do use chemicals to keep everything looking so beautiful. And their roses were just really kind of dried up. There, a lot of their others, there were some things that looked just fine probably heat loving plants, but a lot of the stuff just didn't look as well as it did when I had been there times before. 
So if you think of someone's garden and you want to compare your garden to their garden, I would say don't do it. Just don't do it. But let's just say, and I've never been to Monticello. That's one of the gardens that I want to go to. That's Thomas Jefferson's old home. And they still keep those gardens up. And they he curated a lot of plants from just all over the world whenever he did his travels. He got seeds and, and things like that, which I think it's just such a beautiful, wonderful thing that that's what he does. But if I went there, I don't think going there one time would be a good indication of what that garden looks like year-round. You really have to be in that place year-round or give me a, some kind of a webcam that I can look at it. What does it look like in the spring? What does it look like in the summer? What does it look like in the fall? And again, really the only reason that I bring any of this up is so that I don't want you to get discouraged and think that you don't have a green thumb. I just get so my heart just cringes whenever I hear someone say that because gardeners kill stuff all the time. I killed some fig trees and I had two raspberry plants that died last year. It was totally my fault. I had them in a place that didn't get irrigation that was just kind of out of the way, kind of in a back corner. And I would just forget that they were there. <laughs> I just forgot. It was just, it was pure neglect. But these are the kinds of stories that you don't usually hear about. I will say, too, that the blue bonnets that I have this year, they dropped their seed. They went into a better soil than they did last year, and they just put on such a show this year. But last year, it wasn't so much. Last year, the plants were okay. I even planted some plants. I put out some seed, but I also planted some blue bonnet plants from the nursery, which is definitely a more expensive way to go, but I just wanted to see them there. I just had to see them there. You know, those are annuals. They don't come back year after year, but they do drop their seed. And when they drop their seed this last time, they just went into a much better soil. They didn't go into a mulched bed with no soil. This mulch was sitting directly on top of the soil. They went into a bed that actually had good compost mixed with good topsoil in it. And that just made all the difference. So, so if I were to compare mine to last year, thank God it's better and it's not worse. But we're only in the spring. Summer hasn't hit yet. I don't know what to expect. There's just some things about gardening you cannot control. And the big one is Mother Nature. You just don't know what Mother Nature's going to do. As a matter of fact, if you compare the harvest of, let's just say, my peaches from last year to this year, I'm hoping the peaches are going to be a lot better because we had a really strong wind. That is something that is completely out of my control, and it blew off a lot of my baby peaches. As a matter of fact, I don't thin the fruit on my peach trees. I have learned, so a lot of people will do demonstrations and post videos. Gardeners will post videos on how to thin the fruit from your trees. I don't do this anymore because God just takes care of it for me. Mother Nature comes through with the wind and knocks off a bunch of little peaches or little plums or whatever. And it just kind of does the work for me. And I don't thin the fruit anymore on the trees. Anyway, that's just kind of a side note. But comparatively speaking, you can compare the beauty of it. You can compare the nutrition in the soil or the soil nutrients and everything just grows bigger and better and fatter and juicier. Uh, but you can also compare the harvest of it. You know, how many 
zucchinis did I get last year compared to this year? You just kind of have to take every year as it comes. But the main point to this whole episode was don't compare your what you're doing to what someone else has done. First of all, <laughs> I don't know if this is true, but I would think it would be tempting for some gardeners to tell fish stories, right? So you've heard someone say a fish tail. Well, they don't mean the fin on the bottom of the fish. They mean a tail, T-A-L-E, where someone says that, oh, man, we caught this monster fish in the, in the lake, and we, you know, they go into all this dramatic background story of what's going on with it, and probably maybe 50% of that's true, maybe 25%, depending on who you're talking to. But I would think that the temptation's there to say, oh, yeah, I just have a natural ability <laughs> to garden, and it's really just, it's, that's not it. There's definitely a science behind it. And if you can learn the science, then you'll be doing fine. But that's neither here nor there on the show. I just really wanted you to know that comparison is so dangerous in gardening. I think comparison is so dangerous in your life. If you compare yourself in any way to someone else, you're really doing you and them a big injustice. So uh, let's see some other real life examples I had some garlic and carrots. That, so when I was going through my uh, transitional year, I had a really hard time pulling the garlic out of the ground. So the leaves at the top snapped off when it was time to pull it, and uh, the garlic stayed in the ground. And I just let it stay there. I just I didn't dig it up. I just kind of like, oh well, I had plenty, and but it was really hard to pull it up out of the ground. And the carrots were the same way. Now I had my grand kids pulling carrots a couple of weekends ago and they just pulled it right out of the ground like it was nothing. I, I tried it first before they did it but this was in the exact same bed and I just they just pulled it right out plop and it, it just came out but man it was really hard to pull carrots and, and garlic out of the ground a couple of years ago. So again, it's not just how it looks, but it's how it performs and how the harvest is. As a matter of fact, this is kind of a side note, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, but the garlic that stayed in the ground, I didn't plant any garlic last year. I usually plant it in the fall, and uh, I didn't plant any last year. It just stayed in that ground, in the ground, in the soil all summer long, and I guess it just kind of went dormant and just kind of hibernated there. And last fall, all of that garlic, I did not plant any, but all of that garlic that just kind of stayed in the ground started growing in the fall. It grew all through the winter. And if you live in an area that gets colder than mine, it'll probably, the leaves would probably die back, but then they'll come back in the spring. Well, now I have garlic everywhere where I couldn't pull it out of the ground before. And I did go and pull one the other day just to kind of see what it looked like. And they were not ready yet, but yeah, it just pulled right out. It was so easy. <laughs> Patience is definitely a virtue when it comes to the garden. You're working with someone else, right? You're working with Mother Nature. You're working with God. You're working with nature on this. It's not all you. So you cannot take all of the credit. Mother Nature will put you in your place and humble you like that. 
but your garden will reward you year after year after year with more vigorous plants if you just keep in mind one thing that makes all the difference in the garden which I talked about back in episode two and I know you're probably tired of hearing me talk about episode two and if you haven't listened to it go and listen to it I can't promise I won't refer back to it again but I'll give you a hint it's good soil (laughs) just have good soil But, you know, quite frankly, when I took that trip to the Botanic Gardens to look at all that, I really wasn't all that surprised. I already knew that not all gardens are in online, quote-unquote, shape all the time. Online picture shape. So, in other words, every moment's not a Kodak moment. (laughs) You know, there's a time when a plant is in its prime. And if you're brand new to gardening, you probably, and I would say that this is pretty typical, you probably think, okay, well, that's what that flower is going to look like in my garden all year. Or that's what it's going to look like at least during growing season. Not really knowing if it grows in wintertime or whatever, but I think that's pretty typical to feel that way. But just know that there's ebbs and flows, there's peaks and valleys, there's There's good times and there's bad times. (laughs) Not every moment is a Kodak moment. But for sure, when you see where it looks like, you know, all the stars are aligned, the temperatures are just perfect, everything is green and lush and beautiful, for sure, go out and take pictures. Just know that if that happens in your garden, maybe that's your moment. Maybe that's your picture-perfect moment, but it doesn't, it's not like that all the time. I just wanted to be real with you on this, but to summarize, there are moments when the stars are aligned and the temperatures are perfect and the rain has been falling and some, some plants will look like they should have that proverbial angel halo, that angelic, you know, glow around them. They just look that good. And this is the way my garden is looking right now. And the cilantro and the kale are bolting and they have pretty little umbrals all over them. And But soon they're going to look all dried up and I will let them go to seed so that I can collect those seeds. And I'm just going to have kind of a dried up plant there for a little while because I want to make sure that they have gone through their whole life cycle so it ensures that that seed is more viable But then I will take that plant out. But for a little while, I'm going to have kind of a dried up looking plant in there. And the gladiolas haven't bloomed yet, but I know that they will. They'll put on the show and then they're just going to be some spiky looking leaves in my garden where the gladiola flowers used to be and they won't be there for the rest of the year. This I know. And so it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm used to it now and I understand what to expect. I guess this is what the show is all about, is setting up expectations. And again, it's a good reason to do a plant folio, which we talked about back in episode 23. And it's the same with the irises. You know, the irises, I didn't know that they, I didn't know. (laughs) I'd always knew I liked irises. I had seen them in bloom, but I didn't know that irises bloomed only once a year. But now I know if I have Easter at my house, the irises will probably probably be blooming during that time. So that's that's going to be my my mental reminder is Easter. That's when the irises will be blooming. But they're they're done for the year. Now I need to go around and just deadhead them all, and they're just going to be little spikes of green leaves in the landscape for the rest of the year until next Easter. Yeah. Uh, but then I have the the zinnias to look forward to and the salvia and the marigolds and the sunflowers. They're going to take their place. 
Again, it's another good reason to do those folios that we talked about back in episode 23, just to kind of know. And, I, and I've always said that a garden is uh, an issue of time and space. I call it the, the time-space continuum of gardening because some things, everything has their season. And when the temperatures, are, the temperatures are just right, it will bloom, it will grow, it will start to seed, it will die back and there's just kind of an ebb and flow throughout the whole system so each one of these plants on their own it, it's the show piece it's the centerpiece it's the thriller but only for a time i don't remember i wish i remember what that famous poem was about um a flower blooming um, because it's so cool and basically what they mean is it's so precious a flower blooms and then it dies. So don't compare your gladiolas to the gladiolas that you see on the the plant package or the bulb package. Don't compare what you see in someone else's garden, especially online, to your zinnias or your black-eyed Susans or your garlic or your irises. They're just not in the same place at the same time in that space-time continuum of gardening that you are there you're growing where you're planted let them grow where they're planted and rejoice with them that theirs looks so beautiful at that one kodak moment that one picture perfect moment and maybe it's happens for longer than just one second like i'm oversimplifying here but it is not something that goes you know, don't just don't compare. <laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to say. And I say that out of love for you as a gardener. I just don't want you to be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because you need to live with it and cook with it and see it grow and make notes and observations and trust your own advice based on your own observation and your own experience. That's the point that I really want to drive home. But I just don't want you to ever be discouraged because yours isn't looking like those online picture-perfect models of perfection. <laughs> um, comparison is truly the stealer of confidence and joy. And just, you know, say, well, mine could look like that. But again, that's another really good reason to go back and listen to that plant folio show, episode 23. But if you want to hear more, about how to grow your own food in a beautiful landscape, then click that subscribe button. As I said, this is a bonus episode for this week because I made a mistake and you never know. You know, it may be, you may come back next week and see, oh, there's two episodes there because you just didn't get the notification, which you would if you subscribe. While you're at it, it would really mean so much to me if you would rate and review the show. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening wherever you are in the world. I am so overwhelmed by the fact that this show has so many downloads in so many countries in such a short period of time. I've been doing this now for about two months and I am just floored by the amount of people that are listening to the show and that makes me feel so good because it really truly is my dream to make good food accessible to everyone and if you can do it in a beautiful landscape that just makes sense it just makes perfect sense and i can tell that you've been sharing the edible gardens podcast with others and i just want you to know this means the world to me my heart soars at the thought of anyone 
and everyone being able to put good, delicious, nutritious, and safe food on their own tables. And this is why I do this. This podcast truly is dedicated to you so that we can all put better food on the table. Okay, enough with all the mushy stuff. Until next time, bye for now. (laughs) 